What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast, episode 196. It is Thursday, July 20th today. No real reason for pushing it back today other than I was just real busy yesterday. I don't know what Ryan had going on. Ryan Chapman, he's at the studio in Moore, the new studio. It's looking sharp. How's things going? Good, yeah. I I literally looked down at my phone at one point yesterday and was like, I feel like I'm missing something. It was 11:45, and you texted me, and I was like, "Oh yeah, we just we we who must have been hammering away?" Because I just poof out of my mind. Last week, our our rhythm was so fouled up with Wednesday and Thursday Big 12 Media Day that you, you get out of that groove for one week and and look at what happens to us. And I lost my mouse. Uh, yeah, it's not good. You, uh, you you get out of your groove, and uh, the next thing you know, your equipment is. Uh, I wonder if I left it in Dallas. I wonder if that's <laughs> like the only thing that I left in Dallas when I was gone for so many days and nights. It seems like uh, we just want to. Uh, you said I was hammering away. I did a little hammering yesterday. Mostly it was sawing, as ah. putting the finishing touches on the deck. We're about to hit enter the trim phase trimming out the deck, the, the good looking stuff that you can't really see all our mistakes. Hopefully I get the trim part right. Anyway, John Hoover, I'm in Tulsa. Um, later on the show, Randall Sweet, he's going to join us. We're going to talk a lot about OU recruiting. Got some stuff going on. Got our commitment. Got one coming up tomorrow. Got another one coming up Saturday, I think. And then a couple next week that uh, OU is expecting to land pretty much all but maybe one of them. We'll, we'll talk about that more in the third segment. Right now we're going to hit we're going to close the shop to put a bow on uh, Big 12 Media Days, Ryan, from last week. We did our last show at Jerry World. They were trying to run us off. We didn't get tased. We didn't get handcuffed. We didn't get zip-tied or anything like that. Uh, they were nice to us as we walked out the door. This was the Dallas Cowboys people. The Big 12 people had washed their hands of us by then, I think, Ryan. <laughs> Uh, they'd given up on us. Uh, the Wi-Fi situation was not good. We're doing better today, Ryan. Um, put a bow on Big 12 Media Days for us. There, there was some talk, and Randall brought it up a little bit last week, that, um, oh, shoot, what was it? Tim Weiser, the deputy commissioner, said, uh, you know, took a couple of parting shots on a radio show at the Big 12, and Randall said, hey, is this going to be a deal where, you know, the Big 12 holds a grudge and makes, you know, it, it shows on the football field, it shows in the officiating, or it shows in, uh, you know, some judgment calls, not just in officiating, but, you know, you send your complaint to the conference office and the conference office looks at it and says, oh, yeah, we're going to do something about this and tears it up into tiny little pieces and throws it in the air like confetti. It, could that be happening? Could the Big 12 hold grudges and get petty with Oklahoma and Texas this year? It, it'll be interesting to see because it really feels like so. This is, we know, a, a long process. Uh, I think that a lot of people are just ready for the change to happen because you think about it coming out of 2021 Big 12 Media Days, we had Media Days per normal. And that next week at SEC Media Days is when the news broke. So we've had two years of OU and Texas having to do this really awkward, uh, you know, in front of all the cameras and the microphones. We're going to be the happy members of the Big 12 till 2025, all that. They negotiate out of it. And we know that behind the scenes, everyone's like, get the heck out as fast as possible, pretty much on both sides. And it was more of a lawyer's thing, but... I know a ton of Oklahoma fans point to last year, the fact that the Sooners had one holding call. O Oklahoma's opponents had one holding call called across uh, nine conference games. That seems pretty hard to believe, no matter how good or bad or veteran the, the offensive line play is. But, John, I, I think that whether it's right, wrong, whether it does happen, it's going to be really impossible to separate the fact that Everyone had held it together for the most part for the past two years. And then this last go through, you've got all the coaches taking their parting shots. It feels like you've got big 12 brass putting their name on parting shots. I, I think it's going to be really, really tough for any Oklahoma or Texas fan at any call that seems somewhat 50, 50 this next year to not immediately default to, well, that's just a big 12 trying to screw you. And, and I, I, as much as I don't buy into all that stuff, I think the officials are just trying to do their thing and then they're not being an earpiece in of, hey, in Morgantown, 
I know that Oklahoma just got an interception, but you need to call that off with the with the personal yeah. foul in the back of the like. I don't believe that that's no. happening. No, but I'm not also gonna hammer any fans like this has been building too long. Like the conspiracies will be there and it's going to be like, well, when you have wise, will go to microphones and say that stuff. That's what Brett Yormark has to be like. Can we keep that in the office? Can we keep that in the internal emails? Like that's going to be the issue. And now everyone get your red yarn out because I think that's going to be the work that's done the next year. But Ryan, it's media days. It's conference media days. As Sam Pittman would say, congrats to the media. You guys are having your day. <laughs> also, he burps a lot when he drinks Ham's beer. I, I we have to we have to broach this quickly. Uh, some of the questions at SEC Media Day. Hell yeah, I'm ready for whatever circus this is going to be. Yeah. The reading of that Sam Pittman quote, I think, yeah. has been done incorrectly. So he was asked if he's ever had Ham's beer. Which shout out to Skinny Slims in Oklahoma City, one dollar Ham's for Premier League mornings. Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I have had many a hams beer, can confirm the burping. But uh, Sam Pittman, he at the end of that, he's like, seem like you're doing a good job, like, you know, or have a good job, step it up. I've heard multiple people, including our friends over at the College Football Inquirer, allude to the fact that Sam Pittman was saying, like, you need to up your level of beer that you're intaking. I thought Sam Pittman was like, you seem like you have a pretty good job. There's so much more you could be doing other than asking me if I've drank hams beer. Like, that was my reading of the quote. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> Mine too. I see we didn't uh, we didn't stray far from that. Okay, we got a little off path. As long as we're talking about Sam Pittman, as long as we're talking about Nick Saban and and the uh, the the SEC media days, let's talk about day one. Um, first of all, day one was a lot of Greg Sankey, and shout out to Eli Letterman for getting a one on one with Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC. And he called what we're talking about, the, the commentary that Oklahoma was a reluctant bride going into the SEC. Yeah, well, I don't know if we really want to follow you. We're kind of a big deal here in the Big 12. But if, if you're going to go, Texas, then I guess we'll go with you. Uh, Greg Sankey told Eli Letterman, pure fiction. That narrative is pure fiction. He doesn't know where it comes from. He, he seemed kind of aggravated about it. But... Neither here nor there. Uh, I think Greg Sankey um, flexed on the Big 12, flexed on uh, basically anybody who's criticizing uh, the you know the, the whole process to this point. I thought he was uh, clear and emphatic about his stance on all of that. Uh, also, day one, Nick Saban and Sam Pittman talked about um, how happy they were that Oklahoma and Texas were joining the big the the SEC. Um, Nick Saban said it makes the conference better. Sam Pittman said everybody in Arkansas is ecstatic about it. That was pretty awesome. What did you take away from day one? Yeah, a little bit of the uh, – every new conference is always really excited about the, the new teams coming in, stuff like that. I just thought it was interesting that when it filters down to, like, the player level, they're not as well coached up on the talking points and stuff like that. And outside of – uh, you know, one member from LSU who they have made a living out of basically saying Oklahoma is not cut out for this. Yeah, Texas is not cut out for this. I think the running back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much the, the players that were asked about it too ha- kind of mirrored that. Um, it was, oh, I forget the name. Apologies. One of Georgia's offensive linemen representatives that they brought basically was just like, how could you not be excited about the, the level of this league? Lane Kiffin likened it to – it's the NFL now, basically, yeah. as far as rolling through an SEC schedule. We even had a, a Josh Heupel moment, right, as we went uh, – right before we hit record, uh, old friend of the beat, Tyler Palmatier, asked Josh Heupel about going back to Norman and what's that going to be like with the way that things ended. And Josh Heupel's like, the, the relationship's very simple, very, very happy with all the time that I spent in Norman, and that place means a lot to me, and it'll be one of the, the special days of his career. So – I think that it's just become one of those things of we saw like the SEC network dropped that commercial, right? That was basically a 90 second spot, 20 seconds of it where we have to have every other member of the SEC in this commercial. And the rest of it was it's Oklahoma, it's Texas, and we're going to repo all that history and make it SEC history now as, as Barry Switzer and Earl Campbell and Vince Young become – Oklahoma and Texas's SEC icons in the, in that commercial. It's it's uh, 
it's hard not to be excited for that and uh, won't have to travel far as the SEC showed. They're clearly excited by it by saying we're going to expand that footprint immediately despite the fact that A&M has been in the league for over a decade. We're going to suddenly start taking things into the state of Texas like 2024 SEC media days going to Dallas. Yeah, how about that? Let's go there. Uh, the, the SEC, right after Big 12 media days, uh, is over. Greg Sankey takes the podium down in Nashville and says, uh, by the way, we're taking media days next year to Dallas, Texas. Like I said, what a flex on the Big 12. That That is, you know, I don't know if conferences have like, like baseball unwritten rules. That's one of the unwritten rules. Dallas proper is Big 12 territory. Not anymore. They're doing a favor for the new guys. It's Somebody told Greg Sankey that Dallas is the mid midway point between Austin and, and uh, Oklahoma, Norman. And uh, he decided, you know what, let's have media days there. I see a lot of people from the Southeastern Conference saying, well, that would be nice if we could have it in a Southeastern Conference city or a city in the Southeast or a city in the South. Hey, you people now have access to Dallas, Texas. One of the jewels of, uh, in terms of, uh, the, in terms of cities in America, it's really one of the crown jewels. So, SEC fans, make your peace and make your travel plans. OU fans and Texas fans, y'all know where to go. I mean, what a what an unbelievable flex for them to do that, Ryan, uh, and just say that's where we're going to have our media days. They're going to have it at the Omni. It's going to be over four days. Big Twelve is going to be over two days at Jerry World the week before. Uh, it couldn't have worked out better for the SEC. Uh, Hoove, you're serious. If you're going, get your plans now. The All-Star Game MLB is also at Globe Life that week. So if you're going to travel, you need to book those plans now. Uh, we will be swinging through Texas Live. There will be many Braves. I will be very happy. Uh, but no, Greg Sankey, like I think this is why, and this is why I made a really big deal on my radio show last week about when Brett Yormark went out there on the stage at Big 12 Media Days and said that it is a conference objective to lock down those host sites for the championships. Yep. Because I, who've, how long have you been annoyed with me by I've just been sitting in the background like, when is Jerry Jones going to bid for the SEC championship game? It makes all the sense in the world. He's an Arkansas guy, OU, Texas, A&M, now in the SEC, a short trip for LSU. Alternating that thing between Atlanta and Dallas makes all the sense in the world from a – footprint and branding perspective of trying to say, yeah, that Big 12 championship thing is cute. Do you really want to see Kansas State and TCU play? Or do you want to see Georgia and Alabama square off in Dallas at Cowboys Stadium? Like, I, I think that that is the SEC basically saying, hey, we opened the door on Texas a decade ago by bringing Texas A&M into the conference. Just as Oklahoma's recruiting, just as Texas recruiting. How many heads-up battles were you in with LSU beforehand? All that stuff. Mm -hmm. The door is now shut. It's SEC country. They, the SEC opened it, closed it behind them. Good luck to anyone coming and trying to keep any of the top prospects in the state of Texas out of SEC country. It's not happening. It's all going to be SEC schools and starting to build that footprint. Because like you mentioned, if you're an A&M fan, how annoyed are you that, hey, they haven't rolled through Houston yet for for SEC media day, anything like that. Yep. Now that OU and Texas are here, it's almost like, okay, Texas a we we appreciate that you came over with Missouri when we tried to get everybody else and, and didn't. Now we have the teams we really wanted, and now we're going to plant that SEC flag right in the heart of Texas. I was going to mention that. I bet Aggie fans, uh, Aggie proper, you know, the, the school, everybody, the program, I bet they are furious at the whole Dallas thing, kowtow to Dallas and here comes Texas, and oh, we're so excited. Oh, I bet that did not sit well with them. Probably not. Probably not. Does this mean that uh, your mark's a basketball guy anyway? Just take that thing to Kansas City and don't worry about it. Yeah. I'll tell you what we'll do, Ryan. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more SEC media days because uh, we need to get more into what Kiffin said. We need to get more into what Shane Beamer said. Um, so, we'll t so we'll do that. We'll we've wrapped up Big 12 media days. Uh, we've talked about the, the clean break. Texas is, is and Oklahoma uh, are on their way out. Is it going to be a clean break in 2023? Ryan's going to bring you guys a little softball news. Some of it good, some of it not necessarily good. 
you might call it bad. I don't know. Plus Randall coming up in segment three to talk recruiting. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. On Twitter, give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover, easy enough. Ryan is at Ryan underscore Chapman. And Ross is at Ross Lovelace. Randall is over there at Randall Sweet 5. He's our recruiting guy, so check him out. Give him a follow. He's young. He's new in the business, uh, but he does an unbelievable job covering the recruiting business, uh, all the angles. Uh, Website, allsooners.com. As you know, we are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Remember, we are free. All Sooners is all free. No signups, no emails, no passwords. You don't even need a credit card. It's all free. Segment two coming up. Let's uh, let's talk about. Um, you mentioned it, Ryan, briefly. Lane Kiffin said he almost sounded like he was taking a sideways swipe at Greg Sankey. He said, "Congrats to the commissioner." for making this league like the NFL to a degree. Uh, it was already great. It was already elite. It was already full of NFL guys. But then you had Oklahoma and you had Texas. It almost sounded like he was like, thanks a lot, Commissioner. <laughs> really appreciate it. You know, uh, But that's Lane Kiffin. He's, uh, he's a funny dude. He was asked if uh, he was asked to rank. This was this morning. Can you rank the donors, rank the boosters? give me your top 10 boosters. And he said, I'm not going to sit here and rank the boosters for you. That would be ridiculous. Although God, I'd love to so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he also, uh, he was asked, he was the one that fielded the question of, Hey, walking up to games in airports, people think I'm you. Do I look like you? (laughs) And then, and then he also got tossed the, uh, he took a, I don't know if a side swipe or uh, he was asked about Alabama, if Alabama, if the dynasty's over and um, uh, Saban's like, or uh, Lane was like, no, no, no. This is why we have Paul Feinbaum. Every other year he says that about Saban. Then Saban gets really mad and, and pops off and, and flexes his muscles and we all have to deal with it. So thanks. So Kiffin had an, a very Lane Kiffin day at, at SEC media days, but you're right. It's the, I think if you've read a lot of the inside reporting around the SEC and stuff like that since the announcement has been made, uh, you'd see that the teams at the top, your Alabamas, Georgias, you know, Florida, LSU, all those teams are like, cool, this is great, more money, more exposure, our stranglehold on recruiting and, and competition is going to get even better, all that stuff. And I think the the concern you've seen from the other schools, the bottom half traditionally of the SEC, has kind of been, wait a minute, we didn't just bring in Missouri that's going to come in and be like us. We're bringing in two teams that we are immediately going to be shifted down two more spots in the historical pecking order, in the uh, what you would expect the pecking order to be every single year, all, all that. And I think that's why you've seen so much tug and pull with the eight-game schedule versus the nine-game schedule, which Greg mm-hmm. Sankey has kind of given equal time to not showing his hand as far as where the SEC is going to go. So it's not going to all be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns for, for every school in the SEC, but I think ultimately every school is on board with overall this is way better for the health of the conference, so they're not going to grumble too much, but I mean – you're going to see that like Shane Beamer came out. We'll talk to about that here in a second. And he had kind of a different view on it, but everyone's got their own little, little take on it. And the only ones that have been like, this is awesome. This is great. have been the ones that are winning SEC championships anyway. Yeah. Nick Saban mentioned that in his, uh, I think it was his opening address. I, I think maybe he was talking in, in relation to a question about Oklahoma and Texas. And he said, uh, he said, the thing that makes this conference so great is not the top it's the it's the depth. It's the quality of everybody else throughout from from top to bottom. And I, I thought about that for a second. I thought that's not true. To my perspective on the SEC has been for the last fifteen years has been the top of the SEC is clearly year in and year out clearly better than everybody else. The middle of the SEC is clearly not better than everybody else. You could put them up. You could match them up against the Pac-12. That's the story that I wrote in relation to the to the quote from the kid, the running back from LSU, where he said they don't know what they're getting into. Yeah, listen, when the SEC's best are on their game, they are better than everybody else, no doubt about it. 
when the SEC's third best team and fourth best team and fifth best team are just kind of like everybody else's third best team and fourth best team and fifth best team. That's why I think Oklahoma and Texas have a better shot at the playoff uh, in the SEC when the playoff expands to 12 teams because you're talking about four SEC teams getting in, sometimes more than that perhaps, uh, and it's not going to be that big of a problem to finish third or fourth or sometimes even fifth in the SEC and still go to the playoff and get hot at the right time. Uh, it's going to be a lot easier to make your way as a, as a you know, you don't have to be the, have the number one recruiting class three years in a row like Georgia does and win two national championships in a row like Georgia just did or be like Alabama and win a national championship every other year. You don't have to do that. You just have to get to the playoff which is now a 12-team playoff, and everybody will think you're awesome. Yeah, I, I think year to year your perception of the SEC is right. I think the difference is, though, so if you look at like an eight-year cycle, LSU being the on the whole balance of the eight-year cycle, the, the third or fourth best, whatever you want to look at, the third mm-hmm. or fourth best program, and of those eight years, five or six of them, if you put the Big 12's number two team on the same field with LSU and they're the number two team, you could say, yeah, that's probably competitive. The difference is when LSU does get hot and when the stars align, LSU has the talent to win a national championship. You look at the mid-2000s, Florida can win a national championship. Auburn, get Cam Newton in. What can they do? Win a national championship. You look everywhere else across the country – the ACC's got Clemson or Florida State. That's it. If North Carolina or Wake Forest win the ACC, they top out at New Year's Six talent being competitive there. You look at the Big Ten, it's Ohio State, it's Michigan, nobody else. Wisconsin, you send them to the playoff, they're going to get pants. Michigan State, send them to the playoff, get pants. The Pac-12, it's been Oregon, one Washington appearance. The Big 12, you send TCU to the playoff. They win a game, right? First Big 12 team to win a game, not even on the same planet as as Georgia. So I think that that, like, over the cycle of the SEC, the middle of the conference, any given year, yeah, you put them on the field with any other middle of the conference, it's fine. But when you talk about, like, the the top-end potential, the year that everything hits right for Oklahoma and the SEC, they're going to be way better than the best Oklahoma Big 12 teams. The year that everything hits right for Texas and the SEC because of all the advantages, it's going to look a lot different than the good Big 12 Texas teams. And I think that's what makes the SEC so difficult Right. because, hey, if Alabama is young and they take a little dip in 2019, you have maybe the most talented team ever assembled in one season in LSU to step up and take their place. You have another juggernaut in Georgia ready to dominate on a five-year span, and you just don't see that de- that kind of depth in other conferences. That's true. You don't have a, a roster full of uh, four or five schools who could step up and possibly win a national championship. You don't have that in other conferences. What you do have uh, is, uh, like you were saying, if everything hits for Oklahoma and the SEC – I'll take you back to 2017. Everything hit for Oklahoma in the Big 12. They went up against a, a pretty good Georgia team in the playoff, had them on the ropes, right? Let them off the ropes because of a historically bad defense. Uh, if they had just played a little bit of defense, we've said it a million times, that game, some point, at some point in that game, if they had played some a little bit better defense, they probably win. They probably go on and face Alabama in the national title game, and who knows what happens after that. Probably Alabama wins, but who knows? We don't see Tua, uh, that's for sure, because Jalen Hurts was going to run up and down the field. So does Baker Mayfield want to shoot out with Jalen Hurts? Like, that's the kind of ooh, questions you're talking about. Yeah, fun uh, fun hypothetical stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, we could we could paint hypothetical pictures, I guess, all day about what uh, the depth of the SEC. Um, what we saw last, last year was a bad example for the Big 12 to win its first playoff game with TCU – beating, taking down Michigan, then they go to the national championship and they're playing a Georgia team that is coming back from a national championship that was already historically good. This Georgia team was playing that much better in the postseason last year. It was just an absolutely abysmal performance for TCU. And it's not what the Big 12 wanted, having a, a team rise up, be the first team in the conference to win a playoff game, and then just get erased in the national title game. That is, that is a bad narrative for the big 12. Uh, do you think that exists for Oklahoma and Texas in the sec, that possibility of 
getting to the playoff and getting embarrassed in the playoff. Uh, as long as you stay away from another top, like one or two all-time SEC team, I think I think Oklahoma, Texas, and the SEC in the playoff have a really good shot. Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, football can always happen. Just look at any BCS national yeah. championship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it, it's bad stuff. But just being like physically overmatched, if Oklahoma or Texas have gotten everything together and are enjoying life in the SEC to the point where they're going to a college football playoff, then they clearly are recruiting a lot better than they did in the Big 12. And who, whether it's Britt Vittable, Sark, anybody else, to next year, 10 years from now, whatever it is, they've figured it out. Like, I don't think that they, you're just not going to get physically overmatched like that. And that's the advantage of being a big name in the SEC is that you can get out coached, you can have turnovers, you can have a bad game, but you're not just going to – like the, the Georgia offensive line's never – Again, if Oklahoma is playoff caliber, going to walk across, look at the defense, and go, those guys won what? Uh, they won an entire conference? That that group over – like that's just not going to happen, and, and that's what happens at the top end of the SEC, and that's what Steve Sarkeesian and Brent Venables right now, their task is they got to recruit now so that in 2024 that scenario does not happen to them for every team in the SEC being like, look at these big 12 offensive and defensive lines. What the heck is that? Yeah. That's what Shane Beamer talked about, right? That he was an assistant with Lincoln Riley, hopped over to the SEC, and the first thing when he talked about today at the podium is the lines of scrimmage look a lot different in this conference, and every coach here knows that. Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, the defensive line in particular, um, physically, they're just so much better, so much more athletic, so much stronger, so much more aggressive. Uh, and I've I've painted the picture a couple of times uh, on the website in the last month or so about how the Big 12 in 2007, 2008, 2009 had all those run of quarterbacks and all those wide receivers. And they said, you know what, let's make that our strength. And we're going to go up tempo and we're going to run seven on seven offenses and we're going to win a bunch of Heismans and we're going to set a bunch of records. Right. The, the SEC said, all right, y'all go do that. Y'all go play that fancy boy football with the flag football and whatever else. We're going to dig our cleats in and we're going to double down on defensive ends, defensive tackles, uh, six foot two cornerbacks, you know, that you can't find in the SEC or the Big 12. And guess who's winning the national championships? There was a, there was a split. It's like a, a zygote, man. There they was like everybody was playing this football, Big 12, and Big 12 and the SEC were very, very close, if not back and forth. And then all of a sudden they just split, and it was like, huh, okay. So, and it's, it's not looked the same since, Ryan. It's not looked the same for anyone else in college football. I think no. um, Saturday, I think it was Saturday down south. I don't know if they were aggregating something or just doing their own thing. It's like if you took – if basically you said every year that Alabama has won a national championship, it's like we vacated it in college football and there was no champion and take Alabama out of it. The SEC still has more national championships than the rest of college football combined since that separation started to happen, which kind of culminated in that Alabama LSU game that broke the BCS eventually where they're the SEC is paying for commercial spots of this is our sixth straight national championship. Like you're watching it right now. Um, since, since that moment, since that split, it's just been, it's been the SEC and then it's just been Ohio state Clemson or Florida state end of list. I have no idea if I use the word zygote correctly or not. I don't, I don't I'm not a science guy. I don't know what that means. I, I, I zeitgeist. I like zeitgeist. Better. I feel like too. that's a good one too. Um, by the way, I'll take you back um, to when the the Big 12 lost Texas A&M, Missouri, Nebraska, and Colorado. I was in the room. I was in the room with the lost Dodds when he it was a it was a media setting, and he was totally relaxed. And he came he came into the media room. You know how usually everybody stands up and leaves the media room to go do interviews. The lost Dodds, former athletic director of Texas, came into the media room, sat down put his feet up on the chair and started talking. One of the things he said was uh, in response to a question about the SEC getting a foothold in the state of Texas. His response was an infamous response now, of course. Well, they've got a little sliver down the right side, down the eastern side. No, they've got a lot more than that. Yeah, and then uh, whatever the SEC did to start that, 
they finished the job by adding Oklahoma and Texas. I, I mean, seriously, is uh, on the recruiting front, I know that Brett Yormark's not a college football guy. He told us that, and he yep. showed us that with his comments on recruiting. Um, does anyone actually believe that Baylor, TCU, Texas Tech are going to suddenly be able to throw haymakers back and forth with Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M? No. Now the concern has to be, I don't know if Oklahoma State and Baylor and Tech, I don't know because I don't follow their recruiting the same way we follow Oklahoma recruiting. If they felt that effect like Oklahoma and Texas did with A&M and LSU and then Alabama and Georgia coming over, now my question becomes for that second and third and fourth tier of guys, is this where Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Kentucky slide on into the state of Texas and say, hey, the exact same thing that our top dogs did to the best talent in Texas, we're going to wipe out the rest. That, that's why you have Texas Tech doubling down on Joey McGuire, a Texas high school football guy, to make sure that doesn't happen. I think that's the new fight for the Big 12 is the top talent is gone. It is gone. Sorry. See ya. Yeah. They've got to find a way to lock down that second, third, fourth wave because that's what the rest of their programs, their new flagship programs, are going to be living on. It's what they've lived on their entire college football lives. I think you're right about that. I think that's a great point. Um, and I'll dress it up with this. We'll finish and move on to softball. Um, last year recruiting ranking, I should say, this year's recruiting ranking, this year's freshman class, 2023, Oklahoma ranked fourth. Texas ranked third nationally, according to 24-7 Sports. The problem is Georgia ranked number one by a lot, and Alabama ranked number two by a lot. You look at 2024, uh, Texas is currently number 19 and doing some work. Oklahoma is currently number 22 and getting ready to – my prediction here, not a not a you know breaking news or anything, but just a prediction. Oklahoma is getting ready to go from 22 to a lot higher uh, based on what they're getting ready to get the rest of the month of July – uh, again, the problem here is Georgia currently in the 2024 class is number one by a lot. So, yeah. Um, don't know if they're going to be able to catch that horse as it runs away from them. You know, maybe you can make up some ground later in the race in the 24 class and the 25 class. But Georgia is playing a different game right now. Kirby Smart, the coaching, the recruiting, the development. Everything about that program is the pinnacle of college football right now. Even Nick Saban admits to having a little bit of a Georgia problem right now. Right now. We'll see what kind of work he does to catch up. Speaking of catching up, Ryan, catch us up on the transfer portal in softball. I thought the transfer portal was closed, which I guess it is for entries, but you once you're in, you beat the deadline, which these girls have, you can – you can leave the transfer portal and sign uh, or commit at any time. But Oklahoma, a little good news, uh, possibly, and a little bad news, or maybe this is more neutral news. Yeah, let's start with the more negative, bad, whatever you want to go with. Taryn Kern, who was the Big Ten Player of the Year from Indiana, she was the freshman that came on and, and just absolutely mashed 25, 26 home runs somewhere in there. Someone that as soon as she had entered the portal, Oklahoma made contact with early, all that stuff. She announced that she's headed to Stanford. That cooled off. And frankly, I mean, John, has it been the last two or three weeks that when you've been checking in on it, like, hey, are we expecting anything? And I'm just like, it does not feel like it's going that way. I think part of that was uh, if you dig into what Kern did in the field, she had just about as many errors as she had home runs, which meant that she was not going to come in and compete on the infield to play in the field every day for Oklahoma. You know, Patty Gasso, you know, you want to be a designated player. Great. But I, I think that that was just something of Oklahoma was the early flavor. And that as she had those conversations, she's going to go be able to uh, make all the errors in the world at Stanford. As we saw that they did not care about fielding out there apparently because they were <laughs> It was tough sledding the entire Women's College World Series. But no, uh, great pickup for Stanford and Najee Candidate. They're not going anywhere. So that that was the that news of, of – I, I even hesitate to call it losing a recruiting battle. But there you go. Uh, the What we had alluded to as we left Big 12 Media Days, I don't remember if Carly Keeney, the Liberty pitcher, had officially committed at that point or if it was just that we had alluded to the Patty Gasso uh, boomer tweets. It's been a couple of days. Forgive me. But if we're covering old ground – 
the Liberty transfer, she's a veteran pitcher, one year of eligibility left. She is, we talk about Hope Troutwine and Alex Storacco, that profile the last two years, John, it feels like exactly the same story. Someone that pitched 250 plus innings, mm-hmm. huge strikeout numbers, ERA at about two or hanging just under two, really the only piece that was you know working to win games at, at their current spot are a big reasons why they kind of were punching above maybe where they were Keeney will be able to come into Oklahoma pitch way less be a lot more fresh and work with Jen Rocha to kind of curb some of those walk numbers things like that so it looks like on paper Oklahoma now has four pitchers Alex Straco graduates Jordy Ball transfers you get Peyton Monticelli, the the young, young, young arm from Wisconsin. You get Keeney, the veteran from Liberty. Feels like it's all done. But uh, I was doing some digging. I was doing some digging. I believe if Kelly Maxwell wants to come to Oklahoma, Oklahoma would say we will carry five pitchers. And the Sooners are not out of that. They're not out of that. Uh, That's been a little bit of a delayed recruitment because Team USA was across the pond. um, And and that's where – Maxwell was stuff like that so hasn't really heated up as far as like locking down visits and all that stuff we haven't seen that a lot of that publicly but um, I believe that now that Max- Maxwell's back in the country the recruitment of Kelly Maxwell the star pitcher from Oklahoma State who kind of shockingly hit the portal there uh, if she wants to come to Oklahoma I do not believe Oklahoma would say no I think they'd make the five pitchers work for a year for Kelly Maxwell. I was going to ask, how how do you think that would work with uh, Kirsten Deal coming off a freshman year where she really wasn't used very much and uh, Nicole May going into her, her senior year as the kind of lead horse in that in that pitching rotation possibly? Bring in five pitchers? Or, well, you bring in three and bring your staff to five pitchers. Is that going to work at Oklahoma? Yeah, I, I think it can be done. And all you need to do is look across from Oklahoma – to their opponent in the Women's College World Series Championship Series, Florida State. Florida State carried a lot bigger staff. If you were sifting through, they had, I think, six or seven pitchers that logged innings this season. And it wasn't like, hey, six or seven pitchers were all pitching equal time. But um, that was there. So I I think it would be a scenario of you would go to Deal and Monticelli and say, Keeney, Maxwell, May, all with one year of eligibility left. So you're going to be able to fight for all the innings possible. But if we feel like uh, Nicole May, Keeney, and Maxwell is better, whatever, I would imagine it becomes a very, very quick. Patty Gasso talked about this before last season that you're almost seeing it move to if you wanted to go starter, middle reliever, closer, that's something that softball staffs can now do. I think they'd almost adopt something like that and, and and try to find some sort of way to use the younger arms, whether if they feel like it's a starter and bring in like a Keeney to be a middle relief type type situation. Mm-hmm. I, I think they'd find a way to work that because it would really just be a headache to juggle for one year. And then suddenly it would become a deal, Monticelli, whatever you do in the recruiting ranks, that's going to be your entire staff that, you know, yeah. kind of the year after that. Next year is going to be interesting because they not next year, but the 25 season, 25 season, 25 season is going to be interesting for this team because they lose so much talent. They lose so many All-Americans and con- major contributors off of that team, off of this team. Uh, they're going into their senior year, man. It's going to be interesting to see how Patty recruits, how she finds minds the transfer portal. Um, you know, there's a standard, and she knows what it is because she built it. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how she gets back to it. Well, you you talk about that season two going into the SEC by virtue of graduation. So long to Nicole May, so long to Kinsey Hansen, Riley Boone, Jada Coleman, Tiare Jennings. You know what I mean? And that's just graduation. Selena Torres is going to graduate. That's not transfers or anything. Just the way it syncs up, I'm sure that Patty Gasso would have been like, could we have, if this next season could have been her first year in the SEC to like bridge the gap, I'm sure that would have been great. But I mean, if you pick up, you know, like a Sydney Sanders here and there out of the transfer portal, that's a good way as long as as well as the recruiting that Patty Gasso and that staff always does. Uh, that's how you keep the uh, the tank reloaded in, in an actual engine as opposed to like a thunder tank that has been doing that thing for a little bit. Yeah. So uh, next year, first year at Love's Field, the year after that, first year in the SEC. 
I wish I wish stuff happened in softball around here, mate. It's know, just right? you know, if just, there was just some news happening in the softball world. We would be better off. Kick just your feet little... up and go. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next on the show, Randall Sweet's going to join us. We're going to talk a lot of Sooner recruiting. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. All right, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. And if you like the podcast, drop us a nice rating. Five stars are the best, of course. So yeah, go ahead, give us a five star rating. Hey. If we were rating your podcast, we would rate it five stars. So just kind of do us a favor. Uh, Like us and share us on social media. That's always extremely helpful. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, leave us a comment. Mash that subscribe button, as they say on the tube. Uh, All right, segment three, Randall has joined us. And Randall is here to talk some crouton. Sooners got a commitment. Uh, Was it yesterday? Day before? Uh, Monday? Tuesday? I think it was on Tuesday. Yeah, so I'm telling you, not every team needs five wide receivers in a, in one recruiting class. Oklahoma has got five wide receivers in one recruit. If I'm Brent Venables, I'm I'm bringing Emmett Jones up to the front of the class, and I'm saying you guys need to be more like this cat right here. <laughs> Get out there and get me some recruits at the defensive line position and the offensive line position. You know what I mean? Emmett Jones is working like 79 hours a week at just recruiting. It's impressive, Randall. Yeah, I mean, what, six total receivers committed between 2024 and 2025. Uh, And that's his first two classes that he's gotten the chance to recruit here at OU. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, You know, Zion Reagan's the commit that he's gotten most recently. I mean, super, super fast kid from – from Jones County, Georgia, I believe. Uh, I mean, he's run a 10-3, 10-4 multiple times. I mean, if you watch the film, you'll believe it. I mean, you'll see it right there. He's shifty. He uh, he can take some slant routes to the house. Kind of reminds you of Hollywood Brown in uh, Bedlam back in, what was that, 2017? Uh, so very fast. And it's a good compliment along with the other receivers that they have in 2024, who if you look at Dozie as a comma, he's about 6'3". Zion Cuny is about 6'2", 200 plus pounds. I mean, he's got a he's a real big bodied receiver. And then Yvonne Carrion, who's you know six six, uh, Zion Cuny or Zion Reagans, 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 Reagans. I apologize, is a complete um, different uh, build of receiver from those guys. And he offers something that they don't, uh, which is that speed, that shiftiness, which uh, is really helpful. Um, on his high school tape, you watch him. He even plays in the backfield some, which, you know, yeah. I won't be doing too much at OU, but, you know, having that ability to, uh, you know, be really versatile like that, you got to love that. Something you can see on his on his highlight tape is they get him the ball out of the backfield, like you said, by turning around and handing him the football. Yeah. So, uh, they throw a lot of tunnel screens underneath stuff, mm-hmm. short stuff, line of scrimmage stuff, and let him go. Yeah. And his stride – I think he's a state champion in Georgia, right? Or one of the one of the finalists. I can't remember. But his watch him run. Okay, he's he's a small guy. He's like five eight, five nine, one fifty, yeah. uh, which is another characteristic that's close to to Hollywood Brown. But watch him run. A lot of short guys, small guys, have this really fast turnover, and they're just quicker than everybody, but they don't have that long top end speed. He's got a very long stride, and when he gets going, when his top end speed gets going, he's gone. Yep. It is he is a flamethrower when it comes to that. His his stride and his burst. Uh, he's got a good turnover. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he doesn't have a strong, extremely quick turnover, but his stride is so long for someone who's five foot eight, five nine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a guy that you have to think like. Punt return, kick return, right off the right off the jump. I mean, I, I saw someone on Twitter say that just because you're fast doesn't necessarily mean you're good at those things. But if you look at his skill set, like you mentioned, that open field speed, uh, you know, his quickness. I mean, it, it, it seems like to me he'd be a good return man uh, while he's training the play receiver. And OU is now amassing these speed receivers with yeah. him. You've got Jaquez Petaway, Brennan Thompson, who they brought in over the offseason. I mean, these guys are really, really fast. And let's not forget K.J. Daniels in the 2024 class is pretty speedy himself. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the, the punt return thing is intriguing to me for Reagans because, uh, he, like I said, their coach, their offensive coordinator, quarterback, whatever, 
throws a lot of underneath stuff. And so he's got people chasing him from the, from the center of the field. Maybe he catches a ball out here to the right. And then he weaves his way between them. And pretty soon he finds an opening. He's gone. He's got real good vision. He's got real good anticipation. Uh, very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, big numbers too. Over a thousand yards receiving stuff like that. He's not just a guy who, you know, runs up and down the field, catches one or two passes a game. He's a volume receiver. So, I think this is a great get, and it's a get that, you know what, uh, tell us about who some of the schools that, that OU beat on him because you go into SEC territory, you go into Georgia and land one of these kids you're, as you're transitioning into the SEC. I think that makes a statement to other recruits, in the, in the not just in the 24 class, but 25s, 26s, kids who look up to Reagans as, as a guy who's, I want to be like him. Oh, Oklahoma's recruiting him. Oh, OU beat all these other schools in the SEC for him. That makes an impression. Absolutely. I mean, his top three, I think, was Oklahoma, Florida State, and Georgia. So, you know, you went into Georgia, you beat out a guy from their home. You beat out Georgia for a guy from their home state. And, I mean, top 20 receiver in the country. You know, people online can say what they want about, oh, Georgia didn't want him as much. But, I mean, everybody wants a guy that's that fast. Everybody yeah. can be a guy like that. They were in his top three. I mean, like you said, for OU to step right into SEC territory and win a recruiting battle, it bodes really well for them moving forward when they're going to have to recruit against these SECs, continue to recruit against these SEC schools next year when they're in the SEC. We said it at the top, it's Thursday, July 20th. Now, Friday, July 21st is the day that the run, number one running back in the country has decided he's going to make his announcement. Taylor Tatum is committing tomorrow. All indications, all signs, all Everything is leaning toward, pointing toward Oklahoma, Randall. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, number one running back in the country. He got his fifth star recently. That would be huge for DeMarco Murray on the Sooners. I've seen some people online say that uh, DeMarco Murray has trouble recruiting, and you have to think that if he lands the number one running back in the country, all of that goes away. Yeah. I mean, this kid, if you watch his film, he's he's not small at all, 5'10", 5'11", 200, 205 pounds, pretty good, pretty stout kid coming out of high school, but he's really fast. He They'll put him in the slot and run him as a slot receiver. He runs routes really well out of the backfield. And, I mean, that versatility, that athleticism, it makes sense when you see, oh, he's also hoping to play college baseball. I mean, the, that, again, athleticism, versatility, it, you know, it shows itself in his film and football and – like you said, right now it seems like OU's in a really good spot. That would be huge for the 2024 class. And, I mean, adding that number one running back and then potentially with some of the defensive linemen that they could end up getting later down the line, that could be a huge, huge class for OU in 2024. It could be, Randall, but all those wide receivers, what, four or five wide receivers, um, if Tatum commits, that will be two running backs. Um, they've got a quarterback – committed and they've got offers out to other quarterbacks. We'll talk about that in a second. At what point are they going to start landing some offensive linemen? At what point are they going to start landing some defensive linemen, Randall? Well, I think that might be coming very soon. Offensive linemen, we have Eugene Brooks, who's committing next week. Um, we as in the recruiting world. Eugene Brooks committing next week. Uh, he's choosing between Oklahoma and Texas. I believe his official date is July 25th. Yeah. And uh, right now, all signs indicate that he uh, he's going to be heavily or that he is heavily favoring OU, and that he will be committing to OU. Then uh, he's a top fifteen uh, interior offensive lineman in the country, four star recruit, uh, and I think he would be OU's second offensive lineman in the twenty twenty four class. As an interior guy, he'd play right next to um, Isaiah Autry, and uh, he again. Very talented recruit. He goes to Sierra Canyon uh, High School in California, which if that sounds familiar, that's where LeBron James Jr. went to high school and uh, various other talented athletes. So uh, that could be the second lineman in the class. Oh, you would still probably need to pick up one or two more, but he would be a good start. I'd say at least two more. You, you want to get four or five every year, uh, ideally. Um, yeah. If you if your numbers are good, then you can drop some, but their numbers haven't been good lately. So, right, uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, the twenty three class, the twenty four class, the twenty five class need to hit on those interior trench guys. Ryan and I talked about it in the first couple segments about the SEC, about how different it is on the offensive line. You're hearing that coming out of uh, media days, offensive line and defensive line trenches. 
are where the wars are won in the SEC and obviously for the national championship. Um, anybody else on the radar coming up, Randall, commit-wise? Uh, well, Michael Patterson McDonald is on July 31st, so I can't believe that we're already there, but it's not, yeah. not less than two weeks away. Um, all signs indicate that he's a heavy OU lean, which is good. His dad played at OU. He's from uh, Westmore High School. Again, best friends with Caden Durham, best friends with David Stone. These are the guys that you want to land. Um, so Michael Patterson McDonald, who's a four-star safety himself, would be big. And uh, I believe, uh, from what I understand, Williams and Winery – should be committing on August 1st, if I'm understanding that correctly. And that one is huge. I mean, obviously the number one player in the country, that's a guy you'd love to land. But, I mean, when was the last time OU landed the number one player in the country? It's not been for at least a decade. I mean, probably a long time. Um, so that would be huge, especially on the defensive line for a program that hasn't had the uh, recent success along the defensive line. Uh, getting the number one player in America would be huge. And again, building that Kansas City pipeline, that's big. Yeah, uh, Taylor Tatum, the number one running back in the country. Winery, the number one overall player in the country. If they both choose Oklahoma, it would be the first time. I'm just using my memory here, so forgive me if I'm wrong. First time since Adrian Peterson. Yeah. 2004. That's a long time. It's 20 yeah. years. Whoa. And you have to think that the state of the program then, I mean, they were – three years removed from a national championship, whereas now this team just went six and seven. So if they're recruiting at this level now, imagine if they actually can start stacking some success. Uh, T.A. Cunningham, any news on him? Yes, uh, I think he's committing on Saturday, if I if I have the date correct, I think July 22nd. Um, from what I understand, won't be an OU guy, but he did put OU in his top five, so just something to keep an eye on. Um, but from everything that I'm hearing, probably uh, not not going to end up in Norman. Yeah, okay. All right, let's talk quarterbacks. can never uh, talk quarterbacks enough. An old sports editor taught me that, told me that, and I was like, well, yeah, obviously, but he was right. Every time you talk quarterbacks, write quarterbacks, do shows, videos about quarterbacks, people tune in. So let's talk quarterbacks here, and we have a good reason for it because OU has a 2024 quarterback committed, Michael Hawkins, who I've interviewed – Randall's interviewed. I think we, we are in agreement that he is a fantastic player. Went to the Elite 11 finals in Los, Los Angeles. Uh, he didn't have the greatest showing there, but I think he's an elite player. He's committed to Oklahoma. His dad played at OU, legacy player, all that stuff. OU's out there right now, coaching staff, throwing out more offers to more quarterbacks. When have they ever landed two quarterbacks in a, in a class? I mean, like 2002? Uh, OU recruiting two quarterbacks at the same time or offering multiple quarterbacks, uh, bringing in, signing multiple quarterbacks in the same class, extremely rare. Yeah. So they, uh, last week they extended an offer to Trevor Jackson, who was actually with Michael Hawkins Jr. at the Elite 11 finals. So that's really interesting. He's a kid from Jones, Florida, four-star recruit, big arm, good athlete. Um, and then the other day, uh, I believe Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, they offered uh, Brendan Z Zerbrug, I hope I'm saying his last name correctly, yeah. from Alliance, Ohio. Um, another really, really good athlete, 6'4", 185 pounds. But if you look at his track times, he's a hurdler, which uh, is pretty impressive for, for a quarterback to be uh, such an accomplished hurdler. He um, He's run 38 in the uh, 300 hurdles and 14.6 in the 110 hurdles, which if you're track, if you know track times, those are really good times. Uh, Two-time All Ohio track, so uh, you know you have to like. I think he ran for almost uh, 900 yards last year uh, as a junior, um, so have to like the athleticism there. He's committed to Northwestern. Um, there's been some things going on around the Northwestern football program, so uh, you know sometimes things like that can cause recruits to become uneasy and decommit. And you have to think that if he does decommit, um, OU's right there. I mean, if you look at his offer list, none of the other schools on that list are the same caliber that OU is. Um, and again, I haven't heard anything on him, but just looking at that, uh, it's, it is really interesting. And, uh, you know, he's a really, really athletic guy, which not that Michael Hawkins isn't, but I don't think that he quite has the same track speed that a Brendan Zerbrug does or something like that. Not, that. not to say that Brendan's better or anything like that, just differing styles. Yeah, different style athletes. Um, and they're, OU's not probably done 
offering quarterbacks. Is that right? Yeah, I uh, I would guess that in the 2024 class, and until they get the guy that they want, they're until they get a second guy at least, they're not done offering quarterbacks. Now this is we've gone over the details, but what about the reasons? for offering an addition a second quarterback or trying to land a second quarterback is it because Hawkins had that performance in LA is it because he's playing for basically an expansion high school team and and not really expecting that they're going to be uh hugely productive I mean are they impressed with Michael Hawkins as they should be the coaching staff I'm talking about or uh is this more of a deal where it's like Brent Venable saw what happened last year. He got two guys out – well, one guy out of the transfer one, – one guy out of the transfer portal, one guy from junior college. By the time the Texas game came around, they needed quarterback depth, and they didn't have it. Is this a deal where he's recruiting quarterback depth to avoid specifically that situation again? Yeah, I, I think that you're spot on there. I think that, um, you know, if, if you look at last season – I don't I, first, I don't think it's anything against Michael Hawkins. I don't think that's why they're – I mean, if, if – if they had doubts in Michael Hawkins, I don't think that they would have offered him in the first place yeah. and taken him. Um, so I don't think it's anything against Michael Hawkins. I think it's just what you said and that they they know that when Dylan Gabriel leaves, they're going to have two guys on the roster, and that's Jackson Arnold and Michael Hawkins. And those are two guys who at the at that point will probably be pretty inexperienced. So yeah. you, know, you want another scholarship quarterback on the roster. You want a guy that, you know, if all hell breaks loose, if everything goes wrong, you have another option to turn to. You're not like you like you mentioned, stuck putting a tight end at quarterback against Texas. Um, and so I, I think, like you said, it's just to get more depth in that room, build more competition in that room too. I mean, competition's only going to make those guys better. And if one does transfer out eventually, at least you have the competition there and the depth there for while they are at, in Norman. Eric Gray throwing jump passes. Not yeah. your first option for uh, for Oklahoma quarterback play in the Cotton Bowl against Texas. No, not ideal. Uh, my prediction too, and this is no obviously this is no big thing. This is not like I'm sticking my neck out or anything. OU's going to get a portal quarterback as well. 2024, uh, they'll they'll deal with 2023, obviously with what they've got. But 2024, they're going to bring in. My prediction again. I'm not sitting here breaking news. Next spring, probably after the season, actually, because they want a guy in here for spring football. They want somebody in here who's got that big game experience. You don't need your quarterbacks in your first year in the SEC being uh, a redshirt freshman, a true freshman, right? I mean, that's that would that's a recipe for disaster. So you got to bring in somebody who is maybe a one-year guy who thinks he can win the job, who thinks he can compete with Jackson Arnold, thinks he can beat out Jackson Arnold. Maybe he can, maybe he can't, but you need to bring in that guy that's got that big game experience. That's my take. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. A, a veteran quarterback who's who's played college football before that maybe he's not as talented as Jackson Arnold, but he knows what he's doing and he can definitely push for that spot and make Jackson Arnold work for it so it's not just his job to have. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, basketball recruiting is uh, is picking up as well. We've got some uh, potential basketball news tonight. Yeah, 6 p.m. tonight, Dayton Forsyth of Dale, Oklahoma. Uh, this kid is really athletic, back-to-back state champion, baseball, basketball. Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly how much baseball and basketball translate, but you'd love to see that he's got the ability to do both. Six three-point guard. Uh, he plays for Team Griffin. Um, he's got... Let's see. I think Villanova and Oklahoma State are the other two schools that he's choosing between tonight at six. So that is stiff competition. I mean, Villanova obviously is a really good program. They have been for the past 20 plus years. Oklahoma State, we've seen them beat OU in basketball recruiting battles a lot recently, more often than not, actually. Uh, So if OU is able to get uh, Dayton Forsyth, especially after they lost out on T.O. Barrett, lost out on some of these other kids from Oklahoma, that would be really, really big for Porter Moser and company in the 2024 class. Yeah, Porter needs some good things to happen. Absolutely. Um, in the in the world of recruiting, especially, especially local recruiting, if you've got a yeah. kid that good that's right down the road from you, uh, you need to you need to make some you need to make something good happen. Absolutely. 
Hey, uh, Randall, good stuff, man. As always, appreciate you staying on top of it. And thanks for joining us here again on the All Sooners podcast. Sweet. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, thank you all for listening as well. We really appreciate it. Uh, shout out to my guy, Drew. What's up? Uh, we'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. And of course, you can catch that one and all our shows on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you get or listen or download to your podcast. Uh, if you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. She will hook you up, I promise. Uh, it's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all my shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media for Ryan Chapman and Randall Sweet. I'm John Hoover. See you guys.